Welcome to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project and I'll be your host. I'm joined today by Greg Jones and my partner in crime, Janet Gunter. Hi. <laughs> so today in the show, we're going to talk quite a lot at first about uh, Greg's work, which links a lot of bits about repair and reuse and abandoning things. And then talk about some interesting piece of news we read this week. And we'll have Janet reporting from her recent trip, very recent trip to New York and the US. But first things first, uh, Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, it's you know, really nice of you to ask me along. Well, we came across your work uh, actually when you got in touch with us uh, mm. a few months ago and I was immediately thrilled to learn more about what you do. Yeah, I'd, I'd met um, Janet very briefly at a conference that was on this subject of uh, repair cafes. But yeah. you're probably the only photographer that was that I met at that sure. conference. So tell sure. us, tell us what you what you do. Yeah. Um, so this project that I've been working on with that's kind of culminated in uh, the the little publication called Still Works uh, has been something that came out of uh, noticing these obsoleted products that people would put outside of their their houses uh, in my in my own street and. Um, I guess that I kind of get a bit sentimental about some of these things and uh, feel that, uh, you know, what's the story behind um, the, the object? So I started photographing them uh, and I used a, a, a camera, which uh, is a, a 35mm SLR camera that shoots uh, film. And I, I had the same sort of feeling about my camera that this camera itself was slightly obsolete, um, you know, not not so much the kind of current technology, although there's many, many people using them and still, you know, um, making work using these kind of cameras. Uh, so I'll read a, a, a note that is left on one of these products outside my um, house. Please. So this is, uh, you know, really difficult with a radio show to talk about a photograph, yeah. but uh, it's a, a sort of 50s style uh, hairdryer that's, like, that's on a stand. Yeah, from like a salon, maybe that kind of style. Yeah. Yeah. And someone's obviously had it at their home. Mm -hmm. And here's the note they left on it covered in a black bin liner so that it wouldn't get damaged by the rain. Um, and my photograph of it is on a kind of sunny evening. So the lit light's kind of glinting off it. And then the note says... Uh, this hairdryer is in wonderful working order. I have no room for it anymore. If you would like uh, like it, give it a good home. It's great, exclamation. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of realized that I suspected it, that there was a whole kind of set of stories behind how these things ended up outside people's homes. And sometimes when I found notes like that, I, I had it confirmed. You know, what? It, so some of it's very subjective. It's, it's me kind of um, seeing them as... Uh, humorous or, or sad or even animalistic. There's a picture here of two two little printers, inkjet printers left by um, a bin, and um, yeah, they, they look they, they they're almost like anthropomorphic, or you mm. feel like they're actual creatures. Yeah, they they feel abandoned, <laughs> don't they? Yeah. And, uh, 
So yeah. there is something about the objects and something about the people who owned the object. Mm. And uh, so in, what, what idea did you get from following this for a long time? That is, is it people that are tired of something but aware that somehow it probably still works? Or is it something else that's more prevalent? Well, in, in a way, I think one of the things that I kind of thought about here was um, the way that some of them kind of seem to be sort of displayed. So um, let me see, I, I kind of made a note um, that that I, I kind of felt that it was a sort of evidence that there was a, a real value rather than just a relative one, that if people had wanted to, it could have been completely discarded upside down next to a bin, but instead they're displayed really the idea being that someone will come and take it away because it is a bit too good to throw away. Uh, and that was really the thing that I connected with. Um, I don't have the space to take them all in, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and some of them I think, you know, I would have perhaps collected up uh, if, if I'd had the space. So may maybe taking the photographs was a way to sort of preserve them a little bit, collect them in a way without physically collecting them. Often we hear from some of our most keen volunteers that um, at times they find things in the street and they they see monitors that apparently aren't working and then they take one home and maybe there's even two mm. and it turns out that actually it was something as small as a 70p capacitor that needed replacing. So they're yeah. not working technically, mm. but they could. Um, but that level of awareness clearly is not for everyone. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, what's striking about the collection also is that, so you say you did this over a couple of years, uh, mm. but this is just, as you it's a very uh, local and almost like ethnographic approach because it, it's restricted just a couple of blocks in your South London neighborhood. Is that right? That, that's it. I mean, when, when I kind of started photographing these, I, I, I guess uh, I had a thought, well, you know, I could uh, look around London and to see the scale of this or to see this happening in, in sort of many streets. But I realized that um, it was something that I wanted to do just as a kind of small project when I saw them in my street. And I also realized that maybe by just concentrating on my street, that in a sense, this activity that takes place, takes place in every street. So that was very much my approach. And it's it's been um, just a project that I've kind of enjoyed doing. I would kind of dash back and, and grab this camera um, that um, you know is a little bit bulky uh, and I, I didn't have on me all the time when, when I saw one. And, and then go out and, and sort of shoot it. it I mean, the, it, probably not everyone will know the kind of camera, but it's um, a, a 35mm SLR. It's very much the kind of press-type camera. Mm -hmm. So it did feel a bit like, you know, doc, being a, for me, being a documentary photographer, a reportage, like r running and going and grabbing this thing before often they disappeared. You know, someone had come and got it sometimes by the time I got back with the camera. So... Um, you Did know, you that, ever that see things that, that stayed there for weeks or that became very sad that mm. initially looked like they were on display and, and you know, very mm. appealing? And then later on, they just looked really Yeah, the, sad. I think, you know, CRT screens seem to stick. You know, that seems to be the one thing that no one, you know, might feel sympathetic for. But Those but, old, bulky and very sad yeah. TVs. Well, and they're monitors. also very poisonous and um, there's no right. business model for recycling them. Ah, so okay. we've seen them fly tipped around the world, right? I mean, I think we were in Berlin a, a couple of years ago and I just remember seeing CRTs everywhere and actually yeah. just where I was in New York, same thing. Mm. And so everyone mm. wants to upgrade and it's kind of become impossible to to actually have an argument about this because mm. in the end, 
most people find that they don't have enough space for yeah. keeping and now that the other monitors have become so cheap it's just yeah. very few photographers actually keep old very expensive um large monitors because they're very color accurate right yeah so is that something that you've experienced yourself um well you know i was thinking i think i think with this that uh in a way photographers can be some of the worst offenders for having a lot of equipment you know going through equipment really but um in a way the camera that that i shot this on um is from the 70s and it's still perfectly functional now and it's very good tool for making images now um and so I think many photographers experience this with moving to digital, that it's very disconcerting to buy equipment that has a short shelf life. And very quickly, especially early in digital, you would find that there's another piece of equipment that's so much better than the one before that it's compelling to, to change. Not, yeah. Maybe not quite so much now, actually. I, I grew up uh, shooting uh, on my dad's Nicromats, these like absolutely, you know, they're like, built like tanks yes, these cameras yeah. and i had a completely different notion of what a camera was i guess starting an analog and mm. um yeah my first experiences with digital were off uh, were very disenchanting um and now at our events we uh, if you look at our statistics we were least likely to repair digital compact cameras they're mm. extremely miniaturized and f- fiddly and they require real domain expertise that our volunteers just don't have mm. um we did. We did have a photographer who came back repeatedly with his hot shoe with his external flash, right. and we finally fixed it um, in tooting last month. Fantastic. So, so, photo- so there are some photographers who have a much stronger relationship with. There their must stuff. be something about tooting because I have my own memory of a miraculous fix that I performed to a, a digital compact camera myself, mm-hmm. where something that wasn't working at all. And then we took it apart a bit and mm. just put it back together and it worked beautifully. <laughs> yeah. Super, it yeah. does happen sometimes, even for people who are not mm. that skills, like myself. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah. yeah, it when it becomes like a very difficult repair, mm. sadly, with the change in value that these products yeah. have, yeah. Uh, it becomes really hard to, to get people really interested and focus yeah. on them yeah yeah and, and this camera very similar to the one you mentioned your father had then the, the nicomat oh i like you um, so you've included a little photo in yeah. the uh, in the end of the book of the camera that's nice uh thank you and circa 1978 yeah, yeah. so it's a, it's a nikon um mm-hmm. fe uh camera and um yeah i mean these cameras would have been supported by you know repair shops and um the ability to get that equipment serviced and repaired for professional use. So, of course, it, you know, it, it, as I say, it is very disconcerting to uh, start using equipment where that is not so much the case, um, or at least if it gets you know dented or broken, it's often a replacement, not a, not a repair. You know? And actually, just this week, we heard from someone working in the video industry, um, video cameras, and just very disconcerned about how professionals seem to change and upgrade their cameras at this stage something like every six months or wow, so which right. is yeah. really uh really crazy well mm. also um we don't really like to single out manufacturers because there a lot of these issues are endemic in the industry but um, nikon is quite famous right for basically shutting down independent repair um in the u.s and oh, really? is it nikon I, I hope it's it was it's not canada yeah it's nikon right. okay. um so there's an issue there 
Mm. I wanted to mm. ask you before we before we move on. Um, did anybody ever? Did, did you ever interact with a human or an owner of these devices? Did anybody ever catch you photographing their Yeah, things? it happened a couple of times that people uh, were around, but they were quite, um, you know, furtive. They would kind of disappear back into the house. And, um, you know, I, I think there's that kind of sense that maybe you're from, you know, the, the authorities uh-huh. or the council and perhaps this is being recorded. Um, and I, I think we were t- saying before the show mm. that, there's something new happening just this year where tape that looks like a kind of police crime scene tape is turning up on objects put outside the houses now saying that this is kind of illegally dumped. So I, I think that kind of enforcement might might change people's behaviour now. The, the kind of free cycling or the, or the kind of informal put it outside your house and hope someone takes it might might come to an end, at least in our street, you know? <laughs> We've talked about this in the past, how, um, how people... Um, they're very good at obeying the don't put it in the bin. You know, that mm. there's that symbol, this don't put it in the bin. So they they don't. They either keep it in a closet or they'll put it, display it, as you show, really nicely for other people to mm. take. But in the end of the day, it's like in um, we're not we don't live so far apart where yeah. we live. We have to actually go to a place that I would say is 20 minutes, um, maybe 30 minutes on public transport to get rid of these yeah, bigger, bulkier sure. devices. And mm. it's really tough for some people to make those trips. So mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite hard to, to justify for some people who, who don't have access to maybe a car or, yeah, or yeah. other transport. It's if, more but imagine if it's a fridge or a mm. cooker. Mm. And speaking of cookers, <laughs> uh, we're still on Resonance 104.4 FM, and this is Restart Radio. Um, Greg, uh, one article that uh, got a lot of shares on our social media this past week uh, was an article in The Guardian titled, What Do We Mean We Need a New Cooker? We Only Got It in 1963. Mm. So we see a lot of... Uh, friction between, you know, the pride that some people have in keeping their things for as long as possible. Mm. And on the other hand, the acceleration in consumption uh, for a lot of home Mm. and personal consumer electronics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, What do you make of that? Yeah, well, I I think um, I I was saying to Janet before this show that um, there was a follow-up article uh, where they published extracts from a, a lot of letters they had to that that article because it was so popular um, and someone saying their fridge was 60 years old and one of the things that I took away from that that article was uh, how connected people feel often with with these appliances that have sometimes been either handed down or kept you know in the family uh, and the stories of, of kind of quite elaborate um, measures gone to, to to get repairs so they can keep going with these things and um, again, you know, I, I just think it's this kind of evidence of that, that thing I said before, you know, care about a real value rather than a relative one. And I think we're so much in a system that makes us care about relative value. You know, is this the new thing? Is this the shiny thing? And as soon as that has been rubbed away from it, we feel somehow less less proud of it, less connected with it. Uh, we're, we're all a little indoctrinated to the, the times we're in. And um, I think, in a way, s- some of the, the project with the book, photographing things like a VCR that's left on, on a, um, a wall, uh, these are the things that were you know, the new products as I was growing up. Uh, and now to sort of see them cast out is, is, you know, is just evidence of getting older, I guess. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, for me, it's also evidence of the drama of what do you do with your 
old and carefully created collection of mm. films that yeah. you either taped and I did spend a long time yeah. making good tapes mm. of, of VHS and or even in DVDs at this point. I mean, yeah. it's it's a time when the decluttering and as well as the change in technology is making mm. it hard to keep what you used to have yes, and to move on. And at times it's... It's really discomforting. Mm. But we are seeing, well, and we saw this at Christmas time where we commented on this, the um, the kind of convergence of like kind of vintage with digital. So there's this turntable that sold a massive amount, a kind of all in one. That, yeah, with um, an USB plug to, so that you can uh, transfer your... You so digitize, uh, yeah. Yeah, or at least mm. play some stuff through like a digital system as well. Mm. And we see mm. that with radios also. The radio design is very much like often an homage to older... The, the digital radios mm. are an homage to earlier radios. And maybe, maybe we'll see like a comeback of this kind of really lasting um, appliances. And I know that article alluded to a website that's... Uh, that's, I believe, trying to sell, you know, apply or trying to market appliances for life. And okay. there are still yeah. some examples, and there are still some bastions mm. of people on the internet who trade tips. Like uh, mm. there's the Reddit uh, Buy It for Life subreddit. Yeah. Um, mm. But on the Buy It for Life subreddit, you know, very few electronics and electricals. There are some. Sure. I mean, it's true that the cookers and the fridges are not changing as fast as mm. the consumer electronics. Mm. we perceive at least yeah. uh, and yeah. and so the, there's cycles that we mm. all go through and uh, I'm glad that the cookers aren't getting too smart but I yeah. fear change is coming I just read last night something shocking about um, water purifier jug mm-hmm. that is starting to be sold I believe it's a collaboration of Brita and Amazon and right. by the time 40 gallons, this is a US product, yeah. will have passed through the filter automatically, uh, it will communicate to Amazon and send you a new filter okay. so yeah. that you don't continue using the filter. Mm. And so I okay, fear to be fair, all though, of this. Like that, that's the reason I never buy those things because I always forget mm. to change the filter. So. True. <laughs> <laughs> no, but of course, uh, it's not necessarily by principle against the smart connected devices, but it's mm. a little bit accelerating mm. the conception of who controls when you buy things. But yeah. anyway. And I, th- I think the thing that I really, uh, you know, in, in inspired by you guys and, and um, when I found out about, I didn't know about the restart movement before this, this conference. And, um, you know, I was saying to Janet that there's almost a sense that uh, it's taken an organization that comes from a kind of ground level to react against the way that uh, there's this kind of abundance of products and that they're very disposable to bring people's attention back to trying to have some sort of control over it. Uh, and, you know, I, I bought along a little iPod Touch that that uh, needed a repair doing to it. And um, I think the experience that I went away w- with was realizing how we were just never meant to be got let into these things and it's so intricate to you know speaking as somebody that has taken things apart and repaired them myself but when it come comes to like a kind of um ipod uh touch it's so delicate the repair and the dexterity uh you know i think we were saying the person who helped with the repair uh his father was a surgeon and i and i could see that come through as it has he delicately scalpeled away a little (laughs) foil reflector that was in there 
Um, it's uh, and the iPod didn't need an aesthetics either. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, very it true. was it was of very. Yeah. Hopefully, it didn't feel any pain. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's got a new lease of life, so it, sh- it shouldn't complain. I guess. So we we saw other interesting news or uh, trends that are are passed on to us for comments, and apparently the UK has already reached not just peak consumption of products, as we reported uh, provocatively last month, but also in terms of the resources and the, the material consumption, it's going down. And it placed the UK at the very bottom, apart from Spain, of the whole of the EU. And I was oh, one- you're referring to an article that was actually written by the same person who wrote the the cooker article we were talking about that got a lot of attention. So it seems like The Guardian's paying quite a lot of attention to, to these this themes. Topic, yeah. yeah. What, what did you make of this, Janet? Well, I have to say, as a layperson, um, I read this article with a bit of skepticism because um, also because it doesn't... It, based on what we're discussing, it doesn't really feel like we're consuming less. Um, so I wanted to understand a little bit more. Um, and what I what I understood by this is um, is that that uh, the construction industry played a large part in the um, in the in the in, in in each individual's consumption f- like uh, footprint, as it were, and that obviously we have construct constructed less um, in the UK over recent years. Um, it seems like a very complicated issue. In other words, this this figure doesn't take into account um, I don't, imports and exports, and there's. I think I wonder how accurate a national statistic could be on consumption when the consumption there's so much embodied consumption in the things that we. In other words, extra consumption to make the things that we consume. So I found it quite confusing, and the comparison with the other EU countries also rather perplexing. We yeah, there's two points there that you're making are absolutely important. On the one hand. Um, for every laptop or every lamp or every digital player that's manufactured abroad, so all of them pretty much, um, the material consumption are not calculated in that index. And that's very worrying because more and more we rely on imports for Mm. these things. And maybe the UK more than some other countries within Europe, uh, apart from electronics, which tend to come from the Far East anyway. But on the other hand, also... There is a bit of uncertainty about how do you compare a country like Finland or Sweden is still in the EU where the per capita um, material consumption seems to be so much higher than the UK. And I don't believe that they're building so many more houses than the UK. Some people were commenting in this article saying that perhaps this shows how the UK is not building all the houses that it should be building. And there Mm. you go, the Mm. the housing problem of this country or part of the country. Anyway, we want to learn more about this. So we're flagging it, but uh, we were trying to better understand uh, whether we're just talking about the decoupling between economic growth and material growth mm. just when it seems convenient to forget where the products we use and we keep buying come mm. from or, or not. Yeah, um, I think also the, um, yeah, there's just this issue of, of um, the, the way we, sp- it really matters the way the headlines are written and the way we frame the issue. And um, this is clearly a very complex issue. And I know that um, editors have to write headlines. Um, and in fact, this headline, the Guardian headline, is a question. 
peak stuff or something else. So they're trying to pose a question, but I think what, what we we live in a, in a world where with the clickbait and the sharing, this was immediately kind of uh, trumpeted as some kind of uh, positive news for the you know from the environmental side, and I. I just felt a bit uncomfortable about that. <laughs> well, at, at the same time, we we did read uh, a statistics for the first nine months of uh, 2015, claiming that our consumption of uh, electrical and electronics went up 15% compared mm. to the previous year. Now, I haven't found data about the whole year yet, uh, but it's incredibly worrying if the number of mobile phones and laptops and... Mm. Uh, probably digital smartphones, uh, sorry, uh, watches is mm. going up at that rate. And, uh, and sometimes it's kind of enforced. Uh, I, I think um, when we were talking about the people who've kept their appliances a long time, there's a couple of stories of, um, you know, things like kettles. I've had this myself where it, it breaks on a regular basis and you have to replace it after a few years. Uh, you don't, I, I wouldn't have wanted to buy a new one, but then I find myself having to buy a new one. And um some of that statistic, I guess, is is people who don't like me, maybe who would quite like it to be repairable or um, be able to sort of not have to buy a new one. But, exactly. Yeah. And so much of the conversation is about like behavior change. Like mm. um, we obviously help people try and change. But the point mm. is the system also has to change. Like mm. these are systemic issues and we can't just all fix our kettle. It's just like all I, the time. Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of payoff because one of the, the comments that stuck in my mind from mm. the conference we were at um, was somebody raising the point that one study had sort of said there are many people who really look forward to the next change. It can't happen fast enough. They, they want the next thing the next year when the new one comes out. But I also find that it takes a lot of time to choose new things. Um, it's, it costs a lot of money to keep replacing things. So in a way, if things are repairable, there's a kind of payoff that you don't have to invest all that time and, and energy into it. You know, you just have it repaired and keep going. Absolutely. And luckily, there's a lot of different opportunities for repair that seem to be popping up all over the world. So we're obviously very familiar with what happens in this country. But uh, Janet is just back from the US where she met with the amazing Fixers Collective in New York. Yeah, um, and we've we've known them for a couple of years because they're obviously like kind of um, uh, like cousins of ours. Um, they're a group. They mostly fix electricals and electronics. They fix some other things on occasion. They started up in an art gallery in Brooklyn. So that <laughs> um, the art gallery in Brooklyn, I think, has become a victim to gentrification. So <laughs> I believe exists. now they're um, they have a residency in a hack space in Manhattan. Uh, you know, they're popping up once a month, and yeah, they they. Um, they're, they, I like the way they call themselves. Um, they had a really cool uh, Twitter biography, which was um, something like aggressively. Oh man, I'm gonna see if you can find it, Ugo. But their bio was really was really cool. It was like um, aggressively responding to obsolescence. They're very activist. Um, and they're also, they have a scavenger nature to them, too. Like our, Ugo was saying, some of our volunteers are scavengers, but Vincent, the, one of the leaders of this, he's a born scavenger. So after we spent a couple time, a couple minutes talking, we went to the e-waste point nearest to us and kind of he had a torch and we looked down and he was, you know, already trying to like, you know, he wasn't obviously going to reach in to um 
but uh, to the to the one that was uh, secured. And in fact, but, as you, as you say, they're yeah. fighting planned obsolescence and planned failure through improvisational fixing and aggressive asset recovery. That's right, exactly. aggressive <laughs> asset recovery. I really like that. I like that. Um, so those guys are really one to watch. And they said after the profile that went out on The Verge, which we'll put a link to, they got ex- more and more volunteers. Um, and I also visited a high school, which is uh, which has thrown a restart party in um, in New York, and looking at uh, how they can embed uh, a repair ethos in their IT support. So turn their IT support uh, office into an, actually an open lab for students. So we'll talk more about that later. But that was really inspiring. Yeah, excellent. It seems there is more of a thirst to really learn more about how the choices you make in regards to your IT consumption or procurement in schools and universities we hear um, can actually make a difference uh, in the way we consume and our impact on the environment. I think we're getting to the very end of the show. Uh, First of all, I want to make sure you all get uh, Greg's details uh, so that you can get hold of some of the pictures of the book and perhaps buy your own copy if you're inspired. Uh, Your website is greg-jones.co.uk, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, we'll put it on the website as well. And as for us, we're we're The Restart Project. You can find us at uh, therestartproject.org. Uh, at Restart Project on both Twitter and Facebook. We don't have any Restart parties happening in London this week, but there's one in Leicester on Saturday the 5th and one in Florence, Italy as well. Uh, More in London in Hackney Saturday the 12th, but we'll tell you more next week. Thanks and uh, have a great week. Thanks a lot.